Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. Welcome this morning to church and welcome to those of you who are watching us online. We're glad that you've tuned in. Let's give our online audience a hand. Thank you so much for tuning in this weekend. And welcome to all of you this summer. We've prayed for it, we've wanted it. I saw on Facebook there was a banner that teachers had made and it said, parents tag your it. And so uh, hopefully you have some things to keep your students busy this uh, summer uh, with our next gen team who does such a phenomenal job. Uh, all of our volunteers and our staff, everyone does a great job, but our camps are kicking off and so it's camp season, it's VBS, it's middle school camp, it's high school camp. And so if you haven't had the opportunity to get your young person signed up for a camp, you can go to the website and do that. Um, this is not a ploy to get numbers because honestly in a lot of our camps, our spots are just about full. Uh, because we put so much work into these camps. And, and I've done uh, summer camps for almost 20 years now with young people. And let me just tell you, there's nothing like it. When you get a young person away from that smartphone, away from distractions, alone with God, great things are gonna happen, parents. So that's uh, just some incentive right there just to get your uh, kids signed up. So camps are a big part of what we do. Uh, also, uh, we do mission trips as well. And a funny story I was thinking about, uh, several years back, uh, I took some students on a mission trip to Ghana, Africa. And uh, one of the students uh, was Pastor Jeff's son. And so, you know, Ebola is breaking out and you know, they're, they're worried about this and that. And, and he, he comes to me and he says, now this is my son, my only son, and whom I am well pleased. And he says, I need you to take care of him. Everything's gonna be all right, right? And I'm like, yeah, I got it, Pastor. It's gonna be good. And then Miss Brandy, you know, she was like, now, Tyron, you gotta do this and don't do this. I was like, we got it, it's good. I'm a professional, it's gonna be okay. And so we get to Africa and, and you know, I'm aware of certain dangers that are there. And, and so we have a buddy system. And so we travel uh, with groups. And so I said, listen, we're gonna walk out of the airport. We're gonna go a few hundred yards and we're gonna go to our buses. And we have a team waiting for there. They're gonna take us to the hotel. We're gonna check in. We'll have a good dinner, we'll get some sleep. And then we'll wake up in the morning and hit the ground running. Now, I need you guys to stay close together. Don't stop, don't talk to anyone, don't look around. Everybody got it, we good, you know the plan? Yes sir, we got it, pastor, we're good. All right, let's go. So we start walking and uh, you know, I, I got my, my, my baggage and I'm carrying them. I look back and the line's looking good. It's a lot nice and tight. There's no gaps in the line, you know what I'm saying? If you ever seen that cartoon, uh, you know, Bugs Life, there's no gaps in the line, you know? So we're walking, everything's good. And then, you know, we get to the bus and, and all of a sudden we hear that somebody's missing. And I'm thinking, oh Lord, please don't let it be. Yes, it was the pastor's son, he was missing. And so my first thought was, what is going on? What's happening? And then he comes about five minutes later, we're in a panic, he comes and he says, Pastor T, these men, they grabbed me, they pulled me around the corner, they took all my money. The first thing I said was, didn't I tell you not to have a gap in the line? Are you okay? I thought, do I go fight the guys? Like, no, that probably wouldn't be good. And so I said, listen, are you okay? Yes, sir, I'm okay, I just don't have any money. I said, we will not tell your parents until we get home. So if you send your kid to camp with us, that was a rookie mistake. That'll never happen again. So they'll be safe. Everything will be good. Um, we believe that's going to be a, a great camp season. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 3. It's the second week in our series, Greater. We're talking about how to make God bigger in our lives. And so I've entitled this message, The Road 
to more, the road to more. And so we're gonna read the scriptures together. And this is Jesus talking about Jesus. And in verse 13, he says, and he went up on the mountain and he called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him and he appointed 12 that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Let's read it again, just so it sinks in. Talking about Jesus, he went up on the mountain and he called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him and he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach the gospel and to have power to heal sicknesses and cast out demons. Let's pray this morning. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we ask this morning that you would open up our hearts, Lord God, to receive from your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us eyes to see and that you would give us ears to hear. And Father, we ask that your word would ignite faith in our heart. God, help us to respond to your truth in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I believe we all come to a moment in life where we can feel the Spirit of God drawing us. Maybe into salvation, he draws us. The Bible says no man comes to the Father unless he's drawn by the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit draws us into salvation. He quickens our heart, but there's also a moment where God calls us into a deeper relationship with him where God is drawing us by his spirit and it's up to us what we do with that moment and how we respond to that moment. I believe that Jesus is looking for not only the salvation of mankind, that's what he came for, that's what he died for, that's why we're here. We celebrate the fact that he, he paid the final payment for our sins that we couldn't pay. He rose again from the dead and he lives right now seated at the right hand of the Father in a place of victory and you and I can come near because of what he's done on the cross. But I believe that Jesus ultimately what he's looking for is leaders in the earth. He's looking for people who would sell out their entire lives so that they would be used by him to fulfill what he came for which is a people to draw unto himself. But I believe so often People stop in their journey with God after salvation and they just are kind of along for the ride in their spiritual walk with God. Played sports since I was four years old. Started working out probably when I was 12 years old. I'm 41, still love fitness, still love working out. It's always been a part of my life. And, and I, I love, you know, uh, you know, when you're driving around and you see families that are kind of taking a walk together Maybe you see people that are jogging on the way to church this morning. There were people riding, you know, different bikes. And there's this one guy and he's riding a bike and it's like he's laying down. I'm thinking, that's got to kill your neck, brother. I don't know how that like is good, but he's just kind of going. I'm like, good for you. But every once in a while, you'll see a family riding bikes. And then you'll see like a young kid on this bike that's attached to maybe their mom's bike or their dad's bike. And it's, it's an attachment. And what happens is it has everything that a normal bicycle would have. In fact, I think we have a picture you could throw up, an example of that. And maybe you've seen something like this, but 
You're, you're just, it's got the tire and the back tire. It's got the chain. It's got, you know, the spokes, got the wheels, it's got the handlebars, it's got the whole nine yards. Just doesn't have a front tire. And so whoever's on the back has the ability to help power the bike, but they have absolute no ability to be able to steer or chart the course of the direction. They're just kind of along for the ride in that, in that journey. And I believe what happens is most people in their walk with God, they're content with just being along for the ride. They're content with just kind of whatever happens, happens. And they have no belief that God wants to make a big deal out of their lives. They have this idea that maybe God would use certain pe some people, but that certainly wouldn't be me. I'm disqualified, I don't have the gifts, I don't have the experience. That's for the professional people, it's certainly not for me. And when Jesus died, he didn't just die to save people, he died so that leaders would rise up and that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus on the earth. When you look in the scriptures and you read the Bible, all from the Old Testament, all the way throughout the New Testament, anytime God wanted to do something in the earth, what did he do? He looked for a leader. He looked for a person who wasn't perfect, who didn't have it all together, but they simply said, Lord, here I am, send me, use me. In the Old Testament, there's a scripture in Deuteronomy, and I understand that it's referring to the people of Israel, but it also, the same principle applies to us. It says, I've called you to be, to be the head and not the tail. And a lot of times we think that's a place of dominance, that's a place of authority, but really what God's saying is, I've called you to be the head, to be out front, to lead. I have not called you to be the tail, to be behind. And God is looking for us to, to take the necessary steps in our own walk with him, to surrender and go, God, I don't know what you can do with my life, but Lord, here's my life. I surrender it to you, I, I give it to you. I love the scripture, in Colossians, the Apostle Paul writes this down and he says, it's Christ in you that is the hope of glory. I want you to stop and think about that for a moment. The fact that, that, that God's plan would be that Jesus would build his church. And the church is not the four walls that surround us. It's not the buildings that we go to on the weekends or midweek services. The church is people. And the church is the body that's coming together. All kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of different ethnicities, uh, di different giftings, strengths and weaknesses, but we come together and there are many parts, but they make one part. And God's plan has always been and will always be to use his church as his primary vehicle. It's plan A so that the world might know that he is who he says he is. Every single person within the sound of my voice this morning and those of you watching online, we all have a calling. Every single one of us in this room, you're here for a reason. You have a call, you have a purpose, but it's not good enough just to have a calling in life. It's not good enough just to be called by God. You have to say yes to that calling. You have to say yes to what God has for your life. There's a verse in the Bible that used to really frustrate me. It used to just really honestly stress me out and it's found in Matthew. Matthew 22 verse 14 and it says this, it says, many are called but few are chosen. 
And early on, I got saved at 19 years old, and when I was reading uh, this scripture, I, I didn't really understand the meaning of it, and I thought, I don't want to just be called, I want to be chosen. But how do I know if I'm called, or how do I know if I'm chosen, how do I get chosen, and it would just stress me out. And then I read the context of this, of this verse, and Jesus is giving a parable, and he says this, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who had a great wedding feast. And he had everything prepared and the invitations had been sent out. And then he gathered his servants and he said, see, the meal is prepared, my house is ready. Go to all those who I have given the invitations to and tell them to come to my house, that my house would be full. So the servants go out and they begin to go to the people where the invitations were given and they say, the, the king's supper is ready, the feast is ready. And one after one, people begin to give excuses. They begin to say why they couldn't come, and some even grabbed some of the king's servants and, and killed them. And, and then those who were left, they came back, and the king said, where are all the people? The, the feast is ready. Where's everyone? And he said, you know, the, the servants came back, and, the, and they said they had excuses. And so he, he got very angry, and he, he says, I want you to go out a second time. But I want you to go to the highways and the byways. I want you to go and I want you to invite every single person you come in contact with. I don't care if they're young, if they're old, if they're rich, if they're poor, if they're good, if they're evil. You go and you send out that invitation and you bring them that my house would be full. The second wave goes out and they come back with a mass of people and they come into the king's quarters, the king's house. And then he says this, many are called but few are chosen. How do you get chosen? Well, you say yes. You say yes to the call of God on your life. You say yes to what he's put you on earth to do. You know, one of the things that, that I hate in life is moving, moving houses. You have to move a bunch of awkward stuff and try to fit it through the door and nothing really fits and you break half the stuff, you know, in the truck on the way down and it's just terrible and, and you know, it takes forever to unpack all those boxes but there's one thing I hate more than moving and that's helping other people move. <laughs> I hate it. Because basically here's what they're saying is, hey, would you come and would you give up an entire Saturday in the middle of the Texas summer triple digits and you come and move a bunch of odd objects and I'll throw a couple of slices of pizza in there as a thank you. <laughs> Hate helping other people move, but, but here's what I know to be true. If you wanna find out who your real friends are, just go ahead and move. And send out the invitation and those who show up, those are your real friends. And let's say I had a friend of mine and, 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 and he's moving and in fact, someone texted me last night and they said, hey, great sermon. In fact, it just reminded me I'm moving in two weeks and you're invited. I thought, that's awesome. But let's say that that friend gathers a couple of us together that are his friends and he says, hey guys, I need your help. I'm moving my family. Can you come and help me move next Saturday? Now, immediately I'm thinking, I know I got something to do. I know my wife's got a big to-do list. I, I need to get on that. Think, 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 there's something I gotta do. And then one guy steps up and he says, hey, I'll help you. And then he goes, well, then I choose you. This is what happens when we come to a moment with Jesus 
And he's looking for people who would give themselves fully to the call of God, not professional vocational ministry. I'm talking about the ministry of reconciliation that he is giving every single believer. And for those who say, okay, God, yes, Jesus, whatever it is that you want me to do, I'm in. He says, well, then I choose you. I remember when I was 19 years old and I had my defining moment. And I remember I had an encounter with Jesus and my life was going totally in a different direction. And I remember I had this moment in my brokenness where I encountered God's presence. And the first thing I thought is, I can't believe that God is, is this close. I thought that God was way up there and I'm down here and like if I'd mess up, he'd thump me upside the head, so why even try? Because I know I'm not perfect. I have a lot of imperfections. I have a lot of weaknesses. But in my brokenness, I felt God's presence draw near to me. And I thought this is unlike anything I've ever felt, anything I've ever experienced or heard of in my entire life. But I could feel the Holy Spirit Drawing, and I didn't even know what it was, but I, I could feel God's presence drawing me in. And I could feel that God was asking me for my entire life. I began to count the cost. I began to think about like what that would look like if I actually stepped over the line. I had known many people who said they were over the line or some people who had one foot in and one foot out and I'm like, I, I, if I'm gonna do this, I'm going all in. I'm stepping over this line and I'm never gonna look back. And I've gotta tell you, as a 19-year-old kid, and that wasn't something I was familiar with, that was a very scary decision. I thought, man, you want my entire life? Like, that's a price I don't know if I'm willing to pay. I mean, what about if I give you some of my life? What about if I give you these, these areas of my life? And let me hold on. And I felt God drawing me into total surrender. And it was at the moment that I said, you know what? I have nothing to lose and everything to gain. And I stepped over the line and I said, I'm walking with you and I'm never, ever going to look back. It was the greatest decision I've ever made in my life. It's absolutely true that salvation is free. We are saved by grace through faith, not of our works. Least any of us in this room think we did it and we made it, we got there on our own. You can't buy it, you can't earn it, you can't clean yourself up enough, you can't memorize enough scriptures, you can't pray enough, do enough right things to draw, God, to draw you into God's uh, love and his grace, it just is. You receive it by faith, but it is also absolutely 100% true that following Jesus will cost you your entire life. We step into salvation by, by grace through faith, and it's a gift. It's, it's, the, it's what makes this thing so awesome is that he's done the work, he's done the heavy lifting, and we just receive it. But if you're going to follow Jesus, there is a cost. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus, he gives some pretty tough words here. 
And I know what happens a lot of times. We read certain parts of the Bible. We just kind of pass over. We're like, man, I don't really like That's kind of hardcore. I don't know if I, what, what to do with that. We just pass that over. But here's what I've learned. You can't pick and choose when it comes to God's word and when it comes to Jesus. You have to receive him and, and, and take everything like it is. And he, and he says this. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father or mother or wife or children, Brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost or count the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other's still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions. Now you read something like that and you're like, he can't be serious. Like, is he really saying that we need to hate our family? No, he's not saying hate our family. He's saying that your relationship with him, your love for him, all other relationships should look like hate in comparison because you're so all in and he is your focus. He is your source. And what he's saying is, listen, I want to bring you into a relationship with me that's free. But if you're going to follow me, if you're going to continue to walk with me, it's going to cost you. For over 20 years, I've been preaching to young people, been, been talking to students, and, and many times, you know, I, I, there's no passion. I don't want to be with God. I don't read my Bible, but I'm thinking, man, what kind of Jesus have you encountered? Because when I read the scriptures, People who encountered Jesus, there was one of two things. Either you hated him and you wanted to kill him, or you forsake everything and you go and you follow him. My wife and I will celebrate 20 years of marriage this year. And I was thinking, you know, on our honeymoon, we went to Mexico because it just seemed like the fun thing to do to go to Mexico on your honeymoon. And I remember being there on the beach and, and there were these guys that would walk by and selling different kind of things. And, and man, you could buy everything on the beach from like sombreros to like sandals, necklaces, and sunglasses. And so we sat there for a few days and this guy kept coming by with, 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 the, with a bunch of these Oakley sunglasses. And I thought, man, those are pretty sweet. I need, I need to get me some of those. The first day he comes by and, and uh, we start talking. And by, I heard that you could barter. Like you can, they're like, listen, whatever you do, don't pay full price, don't pay what he's asking. You know, sometimes you gotta walk away. So I thought, okay. So, you know, the first day he comes by, he wants $20 for a pair of Oakley sunglasses. I'm like, $20, that's too much. And so he's like, you know, he goes off and, and second day we start talking again and he gets me to try them on. And so I'm like, man, he's like, which one do you really like? And so I get him down, get him down to like, you know, $12. I'm like, ah, it's still too much. And so. I figured the next day I woke up, like, today is the day that the Lord hath made. I'm getting me some glasses. 
And so the guy comes back again. He's like, I'm going to be here only one more day. And I'm like, I'm good. And he goes to walk off like, hey, man, come back. And I'm like, so I get him down to $5. I get a pair of Oakley sunglasses for $5. I'm thinking, it's a steal. And I wore those things the rest of the week. And I just felt powerful, you know. I get home and I show my friends, look at these glasses, man. They're Oakley's. See the O? It's Oakley's, man. How much you paid for them? Guy was asking 20, got them down to five. It was a steal. About two weeks later, the O falls off. <laughs> One of the springs and the hinges breaks and I had to throw the glasses away. They weren't worth, it wasn't worth anything. Why? Because they didn't cost anything. I'm not trying to be hardcore this morning, but I want us to realize that Jesus made it very easy to leave and very hard to stay. He was constantly telling people that wanted to follow him, hey, you want to follow me? Get ready to be uncomfortable. You want to follow me? It's going to cost you everything. You want to follow me? Let me go bury my, my parents. No, I'll let the dead bury their own dead. Come and follow me. The Son of Man is going here. He has no place to rest his head. He made it easy to leave and hard to stay. In your notes, there's a blank there. I want you to write this in. The road to more is surrender. How do I make God bigger in my life? How do I get more out of this relationship with God? It's called surrender. Here's what surrender looks like. Jesus is calling you. He's drawing you into a deeper walk with him and you say, Jesus, I don't know if you can do anything with my life. I'm broken, I have imperfections, I have a past, I have a history, I have a few things I can offer, but it's not much, and, but Lord, I lay it at your feet. And I remember the moment I prayed that prayer and I said, Jesus, if you're really real, if what I've encountered is really who you are, and if you can do something with this life, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Lord, I'll say whatever it is that you want me to say. And I laid my life down at Jesus' feet. When you surrender your life to God, it's amazing what he can do with the broken parts of your life. In John chapter 6, there's a story. Jesus is is there with about 5,000 men. There's really about 15,000 when you count women and children. He's been there with them a few days, and, and, and by now, you know, they're, they're hungry, and, and uh, he, the disciples are like, hey, why don't we send these people away? It's getting late. And Jesus is like, I'm not going to send them away. At least they faint on their journey home. And they're like, well, what are we supposed to do? Jesus says, well, give them something to eat. Master, teacher, we, we, we don't have the resources. There's not an H-E-B around the corner where we can go and buy supplies for all these people. And Jesus says, go out and take an inventory of what resources that there might be. And so they go out and they come back with this little boy. And I love this story because it just shows what Jesus does with our lives. And he come back with this little boy and he has five barley loaves and two small fish, not even big fish. And they said, Jesus, here's this little boy with this little lunch. And Jesus says, that's perfect. Give it to me. Now, it wouldn't have been any less of a miracle if Jesus would have just said, okay, you got five loaves, you got two fish. How about you give me two of those loaves and one of those fish? We'll call it even. You keep the rest for yourself. And then I'll, I'll do the miracle with this. He didn't do that. It wasn't much. It wasn't a whole lot. But Jesus required all of it. 
He took all of that boy's lunch and he lifted it up to heaven and he prayed and he blessed it, he broke it and he distributed it out to the masses and everyone ate until they were full and they collected 12 baskets of leftovers. See, here's what Jesus does with our lives. When we come to Jesus and we feel him calling us to surrender, we say, Lord, it's not much. There's not much there to offer, it's kind of broken. He says, it's okay, it's not a lot, but it'll do, but I want all of it. And when you surrender your life to Jesus, he takes your life, the good parts, the bad parts, he redeems them all, and he blesses it, and he breaks you, and he uses your life to feed those around you. That's what surrender looks like. In Matthew 14, Jesus tells a parable he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. A man found it, and he went and he buried it again, and with the joy before him, he went and sold all that he had and went and purchased that field. See, we don't really talk a lot about the cost. And the reason I believe that we don't talk a lot about the cost because it fails in comparison to what you get. When you go all in with Jesus, you get Jesus. You get all that he is and all that he's offered. Now, again, he's made available to all of us, everything. But the Bible does say that he rewards those who diligently seek him, that he discloses himself to those who pursue him. When you get Jesus, you get everything. So the cost really is irrelevant. I've never even heard of someone saying at the end of their life, you know, the one regret I have in my life is that I wish I would have lived for myself more. I wish I would have squandered my teenage years more. I wish I would have partied more. I wish I would have slept around more. I wish I would have just kind of lived for myself. I've never even heard of someone even saying something like that. You know what it always is? I wish I would have gave Jesus more. I wish I would have just surrendered more of my life to Jesus. I wish I wouldn't have wasted my years as a young adult chasing frivolous things. I wish I would have just came and gave myself to him more. There's two callings that we have based off what we read earlier. Jesus called the 12 that they might Number one, be with him. Our first calling is to be with Jesus. The foundation of your life is the unseen part of your life, but it is the most important part of your life. And what you put into your foundation greatly matters. It affects the outcome. It's called the secret place lifestyle. It's building a history with God where no one is around. And no one sees and no one knows, but it's just you alone with Jesus, spending time in his presence, getting to know him, allowing him to speak to you. We see this all throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, we see Moses. Moses was leading over a million people, but he woke up every day, and the Bible says that he went outside the camp, away from the people, away from the demands of life, away from the distractions, and he went to the tent of meeting and he spent time with God. We see that David, as a young boy, 
alone uh, in the fields as a shepherd would spend time with God. And we also have a written account in the Psalms of his intimate walk with God, his secret place life. We see in the life of Jesus, we see that the disciples would wake up most mornings and their, their, their teacher, Jesus, was gone. Where'd he go? And so they would go looking for Jesus and they would find Jesus in some solitary place, building a secret life with God. You know, when I first got saved, starting to pray, I, I just thought, well, I just need to like pray an hour. Like that's like the magic number, you know? And I thought, I can't pray an hour. Like maybe Billy Graham can play, uh, pray an hour. Maybe Mother Teresa, I can't pray an hour, so I'd break it up, you know? And, after you get in there and you know, you're, you're thanking God for this and you're thanking God for that, you kind of run out of things to say. I remember one time in particular, I was spending time with God and, and it was just kind of this weird moment of silence. I didn't know what to say and I just said, Jesus, I love you, but this is really awkward. Like I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, but I just kept coming back to that place with God. I just kept coming back and, and it was, I was like looking forward every day to getting off of work and coming home and spending hours in my Bible and putting on worship music and spending time with God. And, and through the last 20 years, my time with God has, has looked different in different seasons. And honestly, today, my time with God a lot of times is from nine at night to, to 11 at night because that's when I work out. I work out at home and so everyone's kind of going to bed and that's kind of my time and I open my garage, you know, and I, I go in there and I put my headphones on and I know whoever's out walking late, they like that guy right there at that address, he's crazy. Because I'm in there pumping iron. You would think I'd be listening to like some Metallica or something like that. I'm listening to like Hillsong Worship, getting pumped up, you know. I'm doing a set. Next thing you know, I'm on my knees and I'm lifting my hands. I'm jumping. I'm not really dancing, but I'm just kind of moving, you know. And I, I just don't care why, because I'm so in love with Jesus. Listen, there are things that you get in God's presence that you can't get anywhere else in life. His presence fills every need in every season. Whatever it is that you're lacking, whatever it is that you need in your life, if you need peace in your life, he's the prince of peace. If you need healing in your life, he provides healing. If you need strength because you're weary, you can come to him and he will strengthen you. I've found that, that when I'm in God's presence, those moments create momentum in my life. They create momentum that propels me towards whatever God has for me. I love spending time with God. I've never once been ashamed of God. I've never once been ashamed to lift my hands and say, I'm surrendered to Jesus. And I know sometimes you go to church and you see that one person that's just kind of way out there and they're like, amen and everything, which preachers like that. Y'all can do that anyway, it's good. But this person just worshiping extravagantly in your heart, you want to judge them. You have no idea what God has brought them through. If you saw me worshiping in my garage at nine to 11, you would think I was crazy. Because I just really don't care what people think. It's about me, Jesus, and that's how I connect to him, and that's my time. And I know when I leave God's presence, he's always with me, but when I leave that secret place that no one sees, I'm a better dad, I'm a better husband, I'm a better man, I'm a better pastor, I'm a better person because of his presence that fills my life. 
Our second calling, though, is to be sent. It's not enough just to be in God's presence. It's not enough just to spend time in the word. It's what you do with it. What do we do when we come out of God's presence and there's a world around us that desperately needs Jesus? The Bible says that he called them that they might be with him and that he might send them out. God wants to use your life at your job, in your neighborhood, in your home, on your sports team, or whatever it is that you're involved with. God wants to use your life. He wants to send you to the people around you. Well, what if I don't have all the answers? And, and what if I don't necessarily know how to pray out loud the right way? It doesn't matter. It's about being willing. I learned a long time ago that I can't heal anyone. I can't save anyone. It's Jesus who does the healing. It's Jesus who does the saving. But he does need people that will step out and go, Lord, here I am. Send me. Use me. Whatever capacity, God, that you see fit, use my life. And here's what I know. You always get more when you surrender. You never get less. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for every single person in this room. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, God, to understand that the road to more is surrender. And Lord, when we step over the line, when we go all in with you, we don't get less. We get more because we get you, Jesus. So Lord, help our hearts, God, to be fully surrendered to you. Give us the courage, Lord God, to say, Lord, my life, it might not be a whole lot. I might not have a whole lot to offer. There's a lot of broken parts in my life. There's a lot of busted up parts of my life. But Lord, would you take my life and would you bless it? Lord, would you use my life to minister to those around us? God, I pray that that would be our prayer, Lord, that we would just say, Lord, I need more of you. So Lord, I need to surrender. If you're here this morning and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you never said, Jesus, come into my life and forgive me of my sins and save me, today would be an awesome time. And I would love to pray for, for you if you're here and you say, you know what, I've never really done that. I've never asked Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life. No one's looking around. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? I wanna pray for you. I believe this would be a, a, an awesome time to do this, surrounded by people who love you and people who wanna pray. If you're here this morning, you say, man, I, I wanna give my life to Jesus today. Just lift your hands up and let me, let me pray for you real quick. I see your hand, thank you, sir. Anyone else? I see your hand, thank you as well. Let's pray, Father, just say this prayer in your heart. Jesus, come into my life. Save me from my sins. Lord, forgive me for walking, Father Lord, in the path that I've walked in. Lord, I know that I need you. I ask that you would come and you would be the King and Lord of my life. I give you everything. From this day forward, I am yours and you are mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God a hand this morning. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com. 